Thank you and welcome to today's convocation. I'm Michael Newman. And I'm Scott Lehman. We are the SST group that went to Peru the spring semester of 2008, arriving in the Peruvian summer. Uh, the tune we just played for you is a traditional Peruvian song called Smoke in the Water. Actually, that's just uh, one of the three songs I know how to play on the cana, so, uh, which is a traditional Andean flute. Uh, for the first six weeks of our stay, we spent our time in Lima, the capital city of Peru, a city of about eight million people. We spent our morning studying the language and learning about the culture, and we spent the afternoons discovering the wonders of the city, especially the beach. After those six weeks, we separated and traveled off to service locations, uh, as is SST tradition, and then we reconnected on the beach for the last two days of our stay. As a group, we went to Mayan ruins such as Machu Picchu, uh, found ourselves in the middle of a strike, and got to learn and participate in Afro-Peruvian music. Uh, we hope you enjoy this convocation as a taste of our SST experience in Peru. Our group was fortunate enough to be in Lima during the celebration of Carnival. The festivities take place during the weeks in February and March leading up to Easter. Most of us actually got acquainted with Carnival by chance. It's tradition for people, often children, to hide on the top of buildings and throw water balloons at passerbyers, including us gringos. So when we went home and asked our host parents why we'd been soaked with water, they explained that, the, that tradition and others associated with Carnival, one of those being costume parties, or fiestas de disfraces. My family was really excited when Ruben's host family sent out invitations for all the SSTers to attend a costume party. My mom loved telling me about all the costumes she wore to Carnival parties throughout the years, from a cat to a witch and everything in between. My mom also told me how much fun she used to have dressing up and going out to costume parties with my host dad. Since it seemed like a regular activity during Carnival, we didn't think too, we'd have too much trouble getting the outfits. Ruben's mom wrote an address on the invitation and after class we went to the store to pick up our costumes. After finally finding the store after just down the road turned into a 30 minute walk, a group of 20 found a small costume shop. Realizing it wasn't big enough to fit our, our group of 20, um, we split up into two groups and went through the long process of choosing costumes for each person. There were two people working in the store behind the counter and about three or four of us could fit it in the store at a time. We told the man working behind the counter what we wanted and he went through the back looking to see what they had and all the possible accessories that could go with each of our costumes. For me, picking out a costume was pretty easy. The previous meal, my family told me I was gonna grow wings and turn into a chicken because I ate them so often. So I asked for, for a chicken costume. The man behind the counter pulled out a red chicken suit with two red feathery wings and a hat of a chicken face and two big yellow feet. I rented it without second thought and went home to show my mom. When I got home, I said hi but went straight to my room. I put on the outfit and returned to the room my mom was in. She looked at me with shock at first, but then with a big smile came across her face as she exclaimed, Mi pollito, my little chicken. Um, immediately, I, I, she went to get her camera. She took pictures and told me to dance like a chicken and flap my wings. <laughs> we both laughed hysterically and joked about it the whole night with our family. At the party, we all had different crazy costumes. There was a bear, a bumblebee, a frog, Fred Flintstone, and even Jesus. We showed off our costumes and laughed together with our Peruvian hosts and each other as we compared costumes. We had a great time the rest of the night singing and dancing as we immersed ourselves in a real Peruvian costume party. And even the night after, people remembered the outfit I wore. I remember when I returned to my, my Lima host family after service, 
I knocked on the door, and my mom answered. She screamed, Mi pollito, and gave me a big hug and welcomed me home. All right, uh, Mark's up next with a Peruvian dance. Uh, for my final project, I uh, studied the dances of the Andean region. And so I'm going to perform one of those. It's called uh, Danza Huayatas. And for many of the dances, they wore this mask. So I'm going to wear it too. And I'm Matt Harms. And as many of you know, um, after our visit to Machu Picchu on our way back to Cusco, um, we got caught in the middle of some political unrest. The Peruvian government had recently proposed legislation that would have privatized public land near archaeological sites. Um, and so the Cuscanians were upset and decided to strike. Because we knew of the unrest, we left our hotel in Ollantutambo around 3 o'clock in the morning um, in order to make it back to Cusco before the strikes occurred. We drove for about an hour without any problems, um, that, but then around four o'clock we had to stop, and a few of us helped remove pine trees um, that the protesters, protesters had placed in the road. We continued on without any problems until about 5.30. Now I had been asleep for most of the morning, including the first stop. But the second time we stopped, I woke up to one of my SST mates yelling something to the extent of, we're going to die. <laughs> Still groggy and confused, I heard a loud thud on the side of the bus. My friends quickly let me know that a group of about 30 protesters had stopped the bus. They were banging on the side of the bus with rocks, and they were letting air out of the bus tires. So we stayed inside the bus for a few tense minutes while our tour guide Elvis talked to the protesters outside. But we soon realized we weren't in any danger. Still, we weren't allowed to drive any further because of the strike. We didn't have any air in our tires also, so um, we had to get out and walk. So we got out of the bus, put on our ponchos, and began walking the rest of the 10 miles to Cusco. We walked for about two and a half hours, almost caught a ride on the back of a big truck, and eventually rode a bus for about 15 minutes to the edge of Cusco. 
We reached the outskirts of Cusco, and after a bathroom break and a delicious breakfast at our tour guide's house, we began walking the rest of the way to our hostel. Once we arrived at the main square, we got to witness the strike in action. Masses of people marched around the main square carrying signs and chanting, and along the rest of our route back, we got to see many more groups of protesters. Despite pulling down a large billboard and destroying the doors of a Chilean-owned airline called LAN, the protesters were quite peaceful. Um, throughout the day, we were impressed by our leaders' calm attitudes and direction. We were able to safely witness um, the problems faced by Peruvians and many others throughout the world. The disruption of striking is something we simply don't experience on such a large scale um, here in the United States. I found myself uh, frustrated at the apathy that I experienced here when it comes to proactively bringing about political change. And I was impressed by the Peruvian's ability to almost completely shut down Cusco. All of us agreed that it was one of the most fun and exciting days of our SST experience, and it was once in a lifetime opportunity to be in the midst of Cuscanian's distinct attempt to speak out against unjust legislation. For the second half, for the second half of SST, uh, everyone was spread apart Peru uh, at different service locations. Rachel Harder and I uh, chose to go to a northern coastal town called Chimbote. Chimbote es una ciudad viejo y huele a pescado. In other words, Chimbote is an old city and it smells like fish. This was the answer I got from my host family in Lima when I first asked them if they knew anything about the city of Chimbote. It was kind of a strange answer and I didn't really know how to take it at first. However, after my first breath of air stepping off the Cruz del Sur bus line at, in Chimbote's bus terminal, I began to understand. Uh, Chimbote is the main fishing port in Peru and includes three fish canning plants. However, in the 1970s, due to poor management, overfishing, and a devastating earthquake, Chimbote began to face strict limitations on the amount of fishing permitted and suffered huge losses economically, leaving many impoverished and un unemployed. Another difference in Chimbote compared to other larger cities in Peru is that tourism is practically nil in the city. The jaw-dropping stares that myself and Ray and the other gringos would receive were one of a kind. For most of the younger Peruvian generation, living in Chimbote, we were their first glimpses of someone with different skin tones different to themselves. Sadly enough, that same generation will be hard-pressed to see others from different cultures for the rest of their lives. This is due to the vicious cycle of poverty Chimbote has found itself in. It is a city with very little organization. The people of Chimbote find it difficult to grow up getting a good education and save enough money to move away. Moving away from Chimbote is the farthest thing away from most of these people's minds, as just surviving the daily grind of working a full day while being paid far less than deserving is enough of a struggle for them. Uh, Rachel and I got to experience this firsthand, side by side, for close to a month and a half. Lying within the city of Chimbote is a smaller district named La Victoria. Chimbote overall is poor, but La Victoria is the poorest of the poor, and really the heart of the impoverished and the homeless. It is also a big reason why Chimbote was named one of the most contaminated cities in all of Peru. Piles of trash sitting in the middle of La Victoria's dirt roads is a normal sight, and the kids of Chimbote have come to see the ground as their toilet, whether it's in the middle of a sidewalk or on a restaurant. It just didn't seem to matter. The majority would see a place like Victoria and overlook it for just another example of a poor city with their own problems. It would be easy to do. However, Jack Davis, a Catholic priest from North Dakota, saw things a little bit differently. Uh, about 30 years ago, he started a parish in this small district in Chimbote, 
with hopes of bringing hope to the area and help to begin reorganizing the chaos. With the help from volunteers across the world and some positive reactions from the gym, uh, people of Chimbote, the parish has been successful in creating many social, health, social and health programs, all of which provide some necessities for a healthy lifestyle, as well as providing opportunities to these incredible people, which due to the poverty they've grown up in may otherwise never have had. One of the things that really struck me while living in Chimbote is that although there is a good chunk of people who really don't want you there, there are also people who are generally just happy to have you around and really just want something to do. The parish has inspired a great deal of those in Chimbote to work for themselves and work for their community. And although much of the chaos and confusion of poverty still remains, there are signs that the city is moving forward. The parish is helping to find ways to reach out to a number of different people through not just the, through not just the hands of the volunteers who come in from other gringo lands, but within the community as well. And with looking forward to Chimbote's future, I really hope they can continue to take their individual passions and bring it together to continue the tough progression out of poverty a poverty-stricken life. And with more, Israel. So Scott talked about the parish and how um, Jack Davis basically set up this parish in Chimbote. And through that parish, there's over 60 different programs. They have hospitals now, um, different like people can go there and work within those, be doctor, be nurses. Uh, they have like soup kitchens that people can work out. There's just tons of different sections. And Scott and I basically worked with a man named Benjamin who uh, was in charge of basically youth organizations. There's a huge gang problem in Chimbote and especially the area we were in, La Victoria. And each gang, uh, the parish set up a, uh, like a, I don't know, what would you call it? A youth? house for each gang I guess and each youth house had like was the name of the gang um, so we would go from like youth house to youth house just like hanging out with these guys that are in these different gangs and basically it was just a place for them to get off the streets and hopefully keep them away from drugs and that kind of thing um, we also worked with a halfway house called Matt Talbot it was basically a drug rehabilitation center people went there as well if they had alcohol addiction um, and so we would work with a lot of these men that were there. We would just go hang out with them, talk to them. We helped build a garden for them um, in their little area. We would like go down to the river and go swimming. We did all sorts of different things. And then also another thing we did um, was, well, when I got there, I really wanted to work with women. And so I kind of set up this women's group with the main man. We worked with Benjamin. Um, so walking the streets, we found different girls about ages 12 to 18 that would be willing to be involved in this group. And it was basically a way to get them off the streets as well. A lot of them don't go to school. They don't have nice clothes. They only have maybe like three outfits. They don't like going to school because they get made fun of. Also, drugs are just such a huge problem here. So it was just a way to get them off the streets. We would like play games. Um, and then there was also a group of older women that... I started getting to know, and they would make things in the afternoon, like purses and belts and bracelets and quite a few different things, shirts even, like they just would sit in the afternoons about 3 to 6 p.m. just creating things. And so I talked to them and asked them if they would be willing to teach my young group of girls how to make these bracelets. So um, they were willing to. We like planned it all, got it all together, and so these girls started making bracelets, and now it's kind of um, like a business exchange where... I'm here, they 
send me the bracelets here, they mail them to me, and I sell them, and then the money goes back to them. So this program has gotten started now, and now there's a group of prostitutes, about 12 prostitutes that we started working with within like the last two weeks that we were there, that they've joined this group as a means to make money. There's a group of boys that have joined this group, and there's the group of girls and the women that I worked with. So from about the beginning of 12 people, there's now, when I talked to Benjamin on the phone, he said there's about 45 people now involved in this. So that's a really great thing that came out of working in La Victoria. And if you would ever be interested in a bracelet, you can contact Scott or I, and uh, we'll get you one of those. So uh, I think that's about all. That's our conclusion of our Peru SST chapel. Uh, but we're going to finish it with the song Te Vas, which is from our favorite group, Grupo Cinco. We loved Grupo Cinco. So enjoy the song. <laughs>